The future of work and the future for workers is changing. From new technologies and talent strategies to the management of tomorrow's workforce. Tap in to Manpower Group Talent Solutions' 60 years of expertise and join us for the Transform Talent podcast, your guide to talent market trends, new technologies and winning talent solutions. Hello and welcome to the 15th episode of the Transform Talent podcast and actually the last episode of 2021. We are your hosts, Roberta Cucchiaro and Dominika Gausa. Today we're going to focus on the newly released 2021 Total Workforce Index, also referred to as TWI. We want to explain to our listeners how using the TWI can help them navigate change from location strategy and balancing remote and on-site workers to restructuring decisions and meeting diversity and inclusion goals. So to speak about the TWI, we are joined today by our two colleagues, Raleen and Grant Lee, who have both been behind the production of this report. Raleen Gagnon, she is the VP of Global Market Intelligence for Talent Solutions. Welcome, Raleen. Thank you. So happy to be here. And Grantly Morgan, who's our global practice lead and VP for Talent Solutions Consulting. Welcome, Grantly. Hi, Roberta. It's great to be here. And I'll thank our listeners for tuning in to the latest talent insights from Manpower Group. Thank you. So, welcome, everyone. And let's start with you, Raleen. So, the Total Workforce Index is in its eighth year and it has evolved every year. Can you give us an overview of what the TWI? is, so what it measures and which factors and markets it analyzes. Absolutely. And how exciting is it that this is the last of something in 2021? <laughs> <laughs> so the TWI was designed to really examine the factors in the marketplace that are going to most impact global employers as they make decisions around their workforce planning, their global capacity, their expansion, which markets they should invest in or pull back from. Over the years, the data points that we've looked at have grown, expanded, and frankly evolved in, in keeping with the times. In essence, most of those data points and factors that we look at fall under either talent supply, where you can access that talent globally best, the cost associated with accessing that talent supply based on the factors in a given market and the skills that an organization is looking for, and of course the regulations that can impact not only that cost we just spoke about, but how you go about engaging those workers and what the, the policies and the procedures need to be. And lastly, the productivity. Not so much the widgets that you can produce in country, but the amount of labor that you can get out of an individual resource, given that there may be restrictions around overtime or the amount of hours in a work day or work week, et cetera. And of course, lastly, we've added in a number of remote factors to help provide some indication of where best one can tap into virtual talent globally today. So, Raleen, a lot has happened uh, in the last year, particularly so from a workforce perspective. We have all heard about the great resignation and the great reawakening, but putting headlines aside, what are the key themes that have emerged from this year's TWI? Well, most organizations would argue that they've had very unique things that occur within their organization, but the reality is, is that we've seen some common threads across the board, regardless of where an organization is based or what they do with their workforce and their organization itself. You know, from legislation, border closing, the migration of talent that we've seen, 
and the escalating costs associated with tapping into certain talent pools. We've seen organizations really re-examine how they've been structuring and trying to engage and manage their workforce historically and look outside of themselves to see what are other organizations doing? Where could we be doing this more efficiently or with potential cost savings? How can we adjust our strategies, what we used to look at from an offshore or a nearshore perspective, and what will that look like for us? So in the way that we've partnered with organizations in this past year, there's been quite a few who've looked to nearshore. They're not necessarily looking to expand their global footprint, but rather strengthen and enhance their investments in certain countries and augment that with talent in nearby communities. In some cases, this means they're able to expand the access that they have to certain types of candidates. In other cases, it means that they can do some cost avoidance and find a lower cost market, tap into a talent pool, and avoid some of the competition that has really been straining some of the organizations trying to employ talent today. In other cases, it's been more around evaluating where have legislative constraints changed the way we're able to operate and impacted our performance, and perhaps impacted how much turnover we're suffering from. Where can we go or how can we address this so that we can invest more in our people and not do so in a way that impacts our bottom line? Over to you, Grantly. You know, this year's paper takes a closer look at the macro-level TWI data to identify market characteristics of mature emerging and incubator markets. So I would like to learn more about these markets and what are the main strengths and weaknesses of these three markets? It's a great question. And we see the major differential here being digital skills readiness of the workforces at large. So if you ignore the fact that some labor markets will see a degree larger than, than others, we're looking at the overall rate of digital skill development and other factors linked to those labor markets. And when we look at mature labor markets, we've seen a rapid shift to digital consumer behaviors compounded by digital ways of working. And what that's meaning is that where up to nine in 10 workers aged 25 or over in mature markets are tertiary educated, they have a greater learning absorbency factor. They can gain digital skills much quicker, meaning that reskilling investments will pay off sooner. And this is backed by the World Economics Forum's uh, digital skills ranking. Example of this is IKEA. So at the onset of the pandemic, IKEA took a decision to protect its, its global workforce, giving that workforce financial security, including in some 20 countries that didn't provide that within their labour market. And as they did so, they set the workforce a challenge. We'll give you the security, we'll give you the time to gain digital skills. But the challenge is to rapidly build our e-commerce capabilities, to pivot our business to those new changing consumer behaviours. IKEA closed 2020 with a record 40 billion euros of revenue from those e-commerce platforms, which really proves that when you can rapidly build capabilities, then you can see the, the bottom line impact of that. So we see mature markets as the, the obvious choice for, for those reskilling investments. The drawback, of course, is wage inflation that we're now seeing in mature economies as workforces reskill and workers move up the value chain. That causes acute talent shortages as workers are stepping away from jobs in some sectors, whether that's entry level or some of the issues we're seeing in areas like road haulage, um, where the work is, is less attractive. So we can contrast that with emerging markets. In emerging markets, only two in five workers aged in that 25 or above category are tertiary educated. And workers typically receive less workplace training as well. 
So that learning absorbency, that digital skill readiness reduces and their ability to gain digital skills is largely employer dependent. That means it's an opportunity for employers that are making long-term long bets in the market, but they need to step into the role of educator. And then they gain a younger workforce, which typically works at much lower rates of pay to so get the labor arbitrage factor as well. So we see this trend continuing for employers that have location-dependent work. Where work isn't likely to move remote, you can look at Tesla's investment in Chinese gigafactories or the deep commitments of Chinese companies to battery manufacture. So those investments are being made. What's less certain is where emerging economies that have been service-orientated go in the future as more workers are moving into the contingent labour category and employers consider adopting similar sourcing strategies. So if we think about microservices, if we think about statement of work as a sourcing category, these give us a more agile way of switching to a variable cost model. And as employers consider that, we may see a hollowing out of emerging market service-related work. And that finally takes us to incubators. These are markets that blend ready now and ready later skills. So we've got a modest rate of labour arbitrage. We still hedge the, the problem of wage inflation in mature markets. But we see that in areas such as advanced manufacturing or clean energy, there is a ready-made skill pool there that we can reduce the climate impact in the supply chain if we move some of those manufacturing operations in particular into a nearshore location. Uh, you know, I think you touched upon something fantastic when you referenced the flexibility that organizations could leverage when they were looking at some of these markets and looking at what their workforce mix could or should be. Because one of the key assets in the PWI is the insight into the legislation itself. When we look at those regulatory constraints, it can actually provide guidance in organizations' evaluation of when will there be greater benefit to tap into the SOW or the contingent worker aspect of their workforce strategy. And that can vary from one country to another, even in those incubator markets or in those mature markets. And I just thought that was an important call out to add. So Grandly and Raleen, you have also looked at opportunities for investments across the three market categories in three key growth sectors, uh, which are digital services, advanced manufacturing and clean energy. So I have a question to both of you. What are the advantages in broadening organizational boundaries in the search for growth talent? You're right. We look first at, at digital services. And if we put that into a category, we'll talk about uh, more as we go through the, the podcast. Let's talk about that in relation to the uh, automotive sector and particularly e-mobility. So this incubator around digital service is largely driven by inward R&D investment in markets such as Taiwan, South Korea, but also we see it in Ireland uh, as well. And it speaks to the role that governments play in building and investing category-defining capabilities so when you think about Taiwan's lead on semiconductor manufacture, that's been a capability built since the 1970s and 1980s. And what we see there is language is less of a barrier when information flows are moving between these labour markets and it's backed by investment. So such investment can contribute to higher rates of digital skills and training. And investing more in labour markets and diversifying the supply of these skills can help to secure component supply. So if we put that into the automotive sector, the reason those of you maybe ordered cars, particularly from the European producers, 
but generally across the industry and might, might be waiting 18 months or longer for that order fulfillment is because of a shortage of semiconductors and, and that kind of protection that's going on at the moment around the, the, the market supply of semiconductors. So we're seeing Ford and other automotives form joint ventures to alleviate such challenges. And as we think about the emergence of incubator markets, it helps us to really think about where we locate and build those capabilities backed by government support to do so um, and the political agendas we see forming in many countries for reskilling and, 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 and jobs for growth. But of course, we see the real sort of hard edge of that, which is taking control of supply chains and limiting that climate impact I mentioned earlier as well. Excellent points, Grantly. And I, I would just add that, you know, when we look at what's happened in the overall marketplace with the increased demand for many key areas of talent, both on the professional and on the unskilled side, we also are seeing a diminished supply within many of the major markets that employers are looking to hire in. And yet they do need to operate in those markets. So each of these skills areas that Grantly was just speaking to, whether it be advanced manufacturing or clean energy, et cetera, they serve as another solution, a strategy to augment the workforce strategy that's already in place. So in many cases, an, an organization already knows it must be in this particular area of Latin America or Asia, and yet the workforce can't sustain their full hiring needs. So the index itself can help to provide guidance into prioritizing which markets an employer needs to invest in advanced manufacturing or digitization. In other areas where governments or are launching additional legislation or creating incentives around clean energy, the index can provide insight into where an organization can gain additional advantages, partner with the government and create programs to not only take advantage of clean energy skills that exist in the market, but to become a feeding ground for the development of organically growing those skills within a particular location. So there's tremendous opportunity for organizations to look at each of these areas for a multitude of reasons. I agree with that. And, and if we look next at the advanced manufacturing segment that, that we've picked out, it's really important to consider that in these labor markets we're considering, the presence of contingent work doesn't make permanent work any less secure. In fact, what we're largely seeing is that up to 40% of contingent work in mature markets is high-skilled work. And incubators are beginning to reflect that too. So as we think about advanced manufacturing capabilities and where we build our prototypes, where we conduct R&D on battery design, on electric vehicle design, and on many of the technologies for carbon capture, going to increasingly uh, pervade the, the next decade of investment to meet the COP26 goals we, we've just all heard about over the last couple of weeks. Then we see the ability for employers to get into some of these incubator markets using a mixed blend of sourcing strategies, as really mentioned there. So yes, you can make permanent bets on these markets because the skills, as I mentioned earlier, they're ready now, they're also ready later. But you can also find flexible pools of contingent talent. And if you look at European countries such as Austria or Czechia, these are rapidly becoming alternative sites for manufacturing operations in mobility, in life sciences, uh, and, and in other very prominent manufacturing um, industries. So although we see the headlines of Tesla moving to the, the, the Gigafactory in Berlin, realistically, there is a much broader set of countries for you to consider um, as clients in your location strategies. And we really believe that this configuration, this Rubik's Cube-like configuration of mature emerging and incubator markets 
is the way to go. But we don't see this as, as, a, as a sort of one-dimensional decision point. We see this as the blended, you know, the optimum uh, blend of those uh, those options. So it's about looking at all the market categories in combination and where you're sourcing critical capabilities. And to do that in line with some of the government agendas that, that we've mentioned. We have an opportunity from an employment standpoint to not only take advantage of those trends and themes, but again, to mitigate some of the costs that are associated with the ever-changing environment that we're hiring in today. In fact, I think that many of the employers who've had advanced manufacturing or automation within their production environments on their roadmap had held off or delayed and been quite incremental in their investments at some point. But now, with the pandemic accelerating that need to invest in these areas, it's tied to where should we make that, that investment? Should it be broadly across all production facilities at one time? Or is there an opportunity to do a phased approach that's going to have a greater impact on our business and our efficiencies? And that too is where many of our, our clients have worked with us on the data and the index to identify where are the markets that may not have as robust of a talent pool for traditional manufacturing, but where we can in a lower, in a lower cost threshold environment implement some of these investments and have that workforce augment our needs in a different way. It enables them to phase into this in a way that mitigates some of the dramatic change that many organizations are trying to avoid at the moment because it's so volatile. And Aurelien, you, you have been involved with the TWI for several years now. And I'm really curious also to learn from you, how have employers been using the TWI and what has remained constant across all these years, but what has also changed? <laughs> so many things it feels have changed. We started with 34 data points and we are now at over 200 data points. So we've added quite a bit over time. I would say that increasingly language proficiency has become a huge consideration for many organizations as they've taken their strategies from a, a regional perspective to truly a more global one. So historically, we had looked at English proficiency just during the pandemic, we've added in a number of other languages. And each year we intend to continue to add more as organizations invest in expanding some of their local market operations or look to create bridges between virtual environments that are starting to emerge within their business. So that's been something that has been a constant need for some and has been a growing need amongst many others over the course of the past few years. I would say that in the past year, that location strategy has been the most prevalent area of focus. And it's always been something that was a, a foundation of how the PWI could be used. But previously, we were looking for facilities, for locations where an employer could build an operation and have a brick and mortar presence. And of course, since the pandemic, we've taken that same approach and methodology. How important is the available pool of sustainable talent? How important is the cost of that talent? How important is the regulatory impact, et cetera? And now we've been looking for ways to identify the markets where they can most effectively or advantageously source certain skill sets. And that's the other big change that we've seen in the past because it was more of a brick and mortar approach to location strategy around the globe. They needed to find one location to meet all of their needs. So if they were putting in a corporate office or a, a satellite office, they needed to have administrative and technical and operation skills. Now, with the virtual and embracing of the remote strategies across the board, organizations can tap into 
part of India for their data analytics hub and then go into Poland for some of their shared services operations and then tap into Latin America for key parts of their operations as well. And so it enables them to branch out in many more directions while still achieving the same goals. So how organizations have weighted certain data points or prioritized talent availability versus productivity has shifted. And the last thing I'd say is around that productivity factor itself. It used to be a driver for most of our production clients, those that were looking to have 24-7 operations associated with their, their uh, production facilities. But now today, it's more about how can we balance the available skills and the schedules in one market and another so that we can have a chasing the sun environment or concept across multiple locations in all parts of our business, not just within that production environment. So, Grantly, how do you envision employers using the TWI as we look into 2022 and beyond? Thank you, Dominica. So, I'll put this into the context of what we, as the consulting practice here at Talent Solutions, think about when, when we consider client challenges. And it, it speaks to that combination uh, of dimensions in the next year that, that Raylene touched on. So, we consider the importance of sourcing talent for growth. And understanding, and, and the report discusses this in, in much more detail, understanding that actually in contribution to bottom line, not all talent now remains equal. And securing the capabilities that really drive growth is central to how we think the, 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 the total wealth index will be used going forward. And of course, that links to building of digital skills and capabilities, as we've discussed today. So challenge two would be how do we keep the incumbent workforce moving at the same pace as technology curves. The third challenge we focus on is how to give workers a sense of purpose, give them a sense that they are reskilling towards a better future. So creating sustainable jobs and sustainable employment, I think will be central to crossing those headwinds of the great reawakening or the great resignation that we so often hear about, but see changing evidence of those and changing evidence within these labour markets. So we do think talent sustainability is going to become very core to our work in 2022. And we can't get away from then managing the risk, resilience and cost factors around the workforce. As we're sourcing new talent, as we're building capabilities, as we're securing the talent we already have, we know that maintaining that visibility is going to be key. So if you ask me how this year's report and uh, the TWI will be used in 2022, I will build it around the three themes. We see learning emerging as a core benefit. And if you're designing learning as a core benefit, as Amazon do, it guarantees supply of talent for a period of time. Now, Amazon will commit to training people and reskilling them and moving them up the value chain. And what that gives them is six to 18 months of service before they build that supply chain through again. So they're perfectly willing to live with high rates of turnover and they'll say, well, we'll pipeline the talent for that. So they're becoming a net talent creator within the workforce or within the, the wider economy, sorry. And what that means is learning as a defined benefit is it's helping companies make their bets. Where are you going to do this? Where do you need to do this to secure the supply of talent? As we think about that, we're also thinking about hedging wage inflation. So you're making bets, you're increasing the cost of employment in one area to secure the talent, let's say in Amazon's case, for last mile delivery. What does that mean you do around these incubator markets to build 
longer term capabilities with that wage advantage. And we can pick out those markets and decide very strategically what capabilities we cite in those markets. And thirdly, take a total talent lens to this. So I think too often we're guilty of thinking, I've got an immediate need and it has to be a permanent hire. And we're seeing this emergence of the contingent work category. And that's part worker preferences. It's part the availability of skills and the diversity of some of those skills and workers that are now available in the contingent category. But it's also this idea of flexibility, of moving to more variable cost models. And I think what we're really seeing is employers considering that, signaling that. How does it change our operating model, though? And how do we build services extensively when we might be dependent on other organisations to deliver those? So that, of course, brings an innate talent transformation challenge. But we're up for that challenge. And we think a client should be up for that challenge, too. So I think it's using the Total Workforce Index to inform where are we making learning investments? Where are we investing in these emerging incubator um, categories? And then where are we balancing our use of, of sourcing categories and particularly the growth in microservices to real agility? And all of those three things are motivated by bottom line impact. So I'd encourage our listeners to uh, hit Google search Total Workforce Index 2021. And by the time the podcast is live, you'll be seeing our latest report with all of these insights um, and many more for you to enjoy and read through. And you'll also find links on the site as to how you can get in touch with Raylene, myself, um, with our teams. And we'd be delighted to discuss that with you. Yeah, absolutely. And we do have one last question uh, for both of you before uh, we, let, we let you go. And it's a question we do like to ask uh, our guests. So imagine we get ourselves on a time machine and we fast forward to 2052. What do you think the TWI would be about by then? I was well, so I'm going to go first. <laughs> okay. Who goes first? Do you want to go first? I don't want to steal your thunder. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was so excited by this question. Um, and, and I was thinking about this yeah, in terms of what we're seeing around the emergence of these new capabilities. So let's stick with the electric vehicle transition for a second. Really interesting that technology cycles are getting shorter and the curves are getting steeper. And so there are a number of employers out there now that are making bets that actually batteries are transitionary technology. And we need that to get us through the decade. But if you look at what Johnson Mathy and others are doing now, is betting on the hydrogen fuel cell as longer term, the more sustainable technology choice for e-mobility um, and, and for transport in the future. So if those technology cycles continue to shorten, the skill adjustments are going to be equally as rapid. And they're going to become more difficult for incumbent employers to keep pace with those skill adjustments. And then we're seeing new learning habits in newer workforce generations. And that in some ways reinforces this change in buying habits because millennials are much more likely to invest in their own career development and self-development independently of their employers. But conversely, they're also more likely to expect that from employers as well. So there's going to be a lot of reskilling to be done. And I believe by 2052, this all points to a closer relationship between staffing companies, educators and employers and the way that we collaborate across these new emerging value chains. 
So give you an example of where we're working on this. We are working in the new mashup industry of clean transport, of electric vehicles and the clean energy technologies that power them. And we're forming the Green Energy Talent Alliance to plan, develop and deploy the skills needed to make the EV transition without losing sight of how that technology curve may extend into the hydrogen fuel cell. And we're doing that in a way to bring companies together to define the jobs and skills of the future in those categories to help our clients understand where are those jobs and skills being built in the education system and how can we collaborate to get more people, whether full-time um, educators, educators or lifelong learning services, how can we bring more people through that process? Because if we just look at those battery technologies based on committed capacity, it generates a global need of 1.2 million jobs. And that was committed capacity six months ago, pre-COP, looking at the number of gigawatt hours that are committed across the globe. So 1.2 million jobs to find in battery manufacture. And I think that's going to lead to staffing companies moving increasingly into the educator space. And Manpower Group um, have been at the heart of that with our academy model, which is built at the moment for digital skills in particular through our Experis brand, and we'll be rapidly looking at how we can bring that into electric vehicles and battery technologies. So much more to come from the Green Energy Talent Alliance, but I think you're going to see much closer relationships emerge in those new value chains. But thank you, Grantly. Actually, I really liked what you're saying in terms of bringing closer together the staffing, the educators and, and the employers. It, it would lead for sure to a much brighter future. So very good 2052. How about you, Relin? Well, I think the direction that Grantly just took us down is exactly how organizations are going to be using the index in that in that time period. You know, but when I think about how that will structurally change the index, it's going to be in sync with those themes because it evolves as employers' needs and requirements shift. And so that means we're probably going to see an emergent or a, a subdivision within that regulatory section that we've always tracked that sort of breaks down the areas of, of legislation that, that shift how organizations are able to engage this talent and also how, how organizations are able to leverage the different institutions and the different pathways within those various markets. I also think there's going to be a shift in how employers are tapping into talent because we are in a very role-driven workforce dynamic today where organizations are still driving their, their planning and their strategies around roles and functions. And in the future, it's going to become about skills. We're already seeing that happen with data analytics. You have data analysis embedded into every function within the business. And the roles become really an indication of the skills that are being leveraged. And so we see a lot of confusion in job taxonomies today. We have a number of global clients who are quite innovative and have already started to build out skills-driven models as opposed to role-driven models in their strategies. And I think the index will flex to enhance and ad adopt that moving forward as the general workforce trends shift in that direction. Oh, thank you, Raleen. And that's a very good point as well. Um, something to remember that it's it's about skills, not necessarily roles anymore. And it all uh, links as well with the education piece and the, the upskilling. So, well, that's uh, very, very interesting. And I look forward to seeing if your predictions are right. I'll add a vision, particularly around the infusion, as we've said there, of new value chains, a new relationship of educators and staffing companies, and that skills transition we're speaking to. What happens if in 2052, we're able to make 
learning more financially sustainable for students. We were able to introduce at much earlier stages their relationship, not with one single employer, but with a category of employers built around this value chain and offer the immersive experiential career development program where if you imagine a grad scheme today bound to one employer and then you take that and you bind it to five or six and you give people entering the workplace the ability to experience work in Norway, to then go and experience work in Spain, to go and experience work in China, to bring those skills back into the US. And you're doing that through companies that are sponsoring the talent program there. So, you know, if you've got a staffing company at the core, you've got companies then sponsoring that. And the advantage of learners going into those programs is that they pay less back for the education that they've received. So I think that's the future. I think it's making the move into highly skilled industries where we know that the number of jobs requiring a degree level entry point is increasing. We have to make that more financially sustainable. And if we can do that whilst giving people back that beauty of travel, that beauty of getting in the room, getting on site, getting together with people, bringing work back to that community feel that we've all missed through the pandemic, I think we'd have done something very, very good. And hopefully it won't take until 2052 to get there. Yeah, exactly. My thoughts. So hopefully it will be sooner than then. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the 15th episode of the Transform Talent Podcast. We do hope that you have enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And as Rantley mentioned, we do have also uh, all of the links to the TWI on the podcast description. And to all our listeners, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review in your favorite podcast listening app. But before we go... We would like to thank you for sticking with us for 15 episodes and uh, we have now reached the end of the year. We hope you have some great holidays planned for December and can take some time off to relax with your families. We wish you a happy Christmas and happy new year and see you at the next episode in January 2022. See you in the new year. Thank you and bye bye for now. Bye. The Transform Talent Podcast, because we know the right talent transforms organizations and helps your business flourish. Talent Solutions, business and talent aligned.